So I, I worked at a, um, at a sugar shack. The one problem that they're running into right now is actually seaweed. There was this unholy bang. The elevator shook, a huge grounding noise, and it stopped dead. Uh, Tourism Victoria posted this, and it just blew my mind. Tequila is to Mexico what, you know, scotch is to Scotland. I actually took the fiddly fig, and I was like, hey, Brad, go stand next to that one and point at it and <laughs> so smile. So you didn't just have to pose. You're like, no, no, Brad, on the other side... <laughs> Welcome back to the Helpful Gardeners podcast. This week, we're taking you on a vacation. Let's go. Pack your bags. It's five o'clock somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. I'm I'm all in. Like, okay. uh, Welcome. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, We're out of here. Bye. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Where should we go today, right? Plants around the world. I just got back from Mexico. Wow. And uh, I got truly inspired. It's something else, eh? It is something else. I went on the Cancun side, which I don't know if there's a difference between... Yep. The, yeah, yeah. I mean, much... It's a big country. Yep. I can't speak to the diversity because I'm not that familiar. I've been to both sides of Mexico, but look at the diversity from the East Coast here to the West Coast here. Absolutely. Yeah. And so on the East Coast, they're, uh, they're on the Caribbean Sea. Uh, and on the West Coast, they're on the Pacific. And then there's the mountain range in between. And I believe it's more jungle-based on the East side and more desert and a bit of jungle on the West side. But again, do not hold me to that. But I mean, that's definitely my experience. Yep. We we saw a whole bunch of jungle, dense, dense. I mean, they had like five-minute rains. Yeah. Which is which is very interesting to experience. And it's warm rain. Oh, it's so it's the best rain. Yeah. It really and it's soft water and it's yeah. <laughs> yeah. Get out of here, Calgary rain. I know. And there's such a diversity in plants. So we took a, a little walk down the um just I mean in the in the resort alone there was just plants everywhere. But we took a long a walk along the, the big hotel strip and we were just taking a look at all the plants. And I mean things that you find in, in our house plant department here in Calgary, like like the croton yep. growing as like a big bush. Yep. What else did we see? We saw agave plants. Yep. Uh, fiddly figs just growing out and thriving like, and- like right we were talking about in the houseplant episode where yep. you get questions about uh you know i have a yellow leaf on my fiddly fig and then here they are in mexico just growing out wild and having the best time yeah and and nobody's doing anything to them tourists are probably you know they how many times like the ones on the resort they get like a drink poured on them or people have fallen into them and they're thriving and Here you rotate at 90 degrees and it's like, no, I'm going to drop a leaf. How do you like that? (laughs) So it's, it's amazing when you see a plant in their natural habitat, the way they're thriving. And that's what, that's what I said. You know, the best thing we try to do is uh, mimic that habitat. Yes. But there's no way you can mimic that level of humidity. No. And the richness of the soil. It's you know, it's constantly happening. All of the animals that are scurrying about, that's all such an integral part of the ecosystem. And that's what the plant needs. We take that plant. It's, I always say, I, I'm not a big fan of them, is going to a zoo. Mm-hmm. And I love, I love animals. I, I love looking at them. But you're not seeing the animal in its habitat. So, yeah, it's, you're observing it, but it's, you're, not, you're not witnessing how it should be. When you go to Mexico and you see these fiddle leaf figs and, you know, everything, the palms, uh, how many uh, different ficus and, and the crotons and mm-hmm. palm trees. And, uh, and the, the funny thing is, is they bring in plants that aren't native and they thrive. Oh, yeah. Because they've got the climate for it. And 
I don't know if I don't know if the result you were on had any, but can't remember if it was Cancun or Sayulita, which whichever they had Bird of Paradise growing there. Oh, I didn't. I, oh wait, did I see those? You know what was interesting? I noticed a very high difference between what was growing on say on the jungle when you go on excursions and whatnot and then what was growing outside resorts yep you know how we were talking about in the first houseplant episode where we were talking about how houseplants were like a show of wealth yep and and i think it still happens today because we went by like the hilton okay you yeah. know they had bird of paradise they had very well manicured yep you go there it's very inviting it's very colorful there's no brown leaves but you go on to some other resorts or you go down the hotel strip yep. and you're just walking down, you see brown leaves everywhere. It's natural. It's yeah. it's the way it should be. And honestly, if, if we compare it to my garden, mm-hmm. I have some uh, beds uh, that are manicured. Mm-hmm. There isn't a weed to be seen. Um, my entire focus is whatever I'm growing in there, be it a perennial or a uh, vegetable, an annual. Uh, I make sure they're deadheaded, fertilized regular. And then I've got my natural areas and my lawn uh, where I let the uh, creeping bell go. If there's brown leaves there or if something is dying or if it's dying back, I'm not going to water it. I'm not going to do anything. Mm-hmm. And it's that inviting area and, and you know, the, the natural um, area. And if I'm being 100% honest, I, I see uh, the benefit and the beauty of the manicured area, but I'm more drawn to the natural area. The brown leaves were being used for things in Mexico, like for example, we went to this little public area where you could sit, you a bench, a table, and then over top of these benches and tables, they were using some dried palm leaves as shelter and as shade from the sun. Yep. Yeah, as a natural shade. Yeah, repurposing yeah. a brown leaf. Yep. Everything has a purpose, and and if you if you look as well, we'll pick on the fiddle leaf fig uh, because it's identifiable, and quite frankly, it's so finicky. I'm going to pick on it. But when you see them uh, growing in the and they're just kind of in a in a wild area, or just an area that they're just letting naturalize. I don't know if you noticed, but when you look at the brown leaves, quite often uh, there's um, loads of little anole on them. And the anole are the little brown lizards. So they, they hide on those leaves because they blend in. Oh. And then they run off and they hunt and they're on the green leaves. They stand out so their predators can get them. Wow. But yeah, in the, in the, in the interim when they're, you know, they're resting, they're cooling down or they're trying to catch sun, whatever it might be, mm-hmm. they'll go hang out on the brown leaves or they'll hang out on the bark because then they blend in and you can't see them. So all of that has a purpose. Mm-hmm. I think I think the thing that really stands out to me the most when I go somewhere tropical, for the most part, is the humidity. Because if we look at uh, the east coast of Canada, yeah. where the the trees, uh, the, the massive trees they've got and the foliage and the west coast of Canada and the huge trees and, you know, what are they, uh, uh, zone 9B or 9A? Yeah. And, and the amount of flora that they've got happening there well, what do the East Coast and the West Coast have in common? Very high levels of humidity. You start getting into uh, central Canada and it's very arid. Mm-hmm. It's very dry, especially in the winter. And that humidity makes a colossal difference. And I, I know people have humidifiers. I've, I've got one in my office somewhere. Well, right here. You just can't replicate it. Mm-hmm. I've never been able... Maybe maybe if you had a... I think we talked about this. If you have a tent... Uh, a grow tent, and you put a humidifier in there, yeah, you could replicate humidity because you're trapping it in. But I don't buy my house plants to put them in a tent and zip them up. Yeah. Oh, I got to tell Can I digress? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. We're, <laughs> we're talking about uh, 
We're talking about houseplants and, and humidity and zipped up. Okay. So uh, this week's just been really busy. Uh, lots going on. Harry has signed up for rugby. So his schedule's uh, completely changed and uh, just making everything work and, and, and running around. So the other night I had an appointment and it was a place I'd never been to before. So I get there and it was on the uh, fourth floor. So I park and I run over to the elevator and I'm like, oh, I, I don't see the stairs. So I'm like, okay, because normally I run up the stairs. I'm not scared of elevators, but I just, you know, hey, get my step count in. A lot of times I sit behind a desk. So mad busy. And uh, on Sunday, I hadn't watered my plants. Monday, I'm like, okay, I've got to water the plants. And I'm like literally timetable in my head. So I jump in the elevator and I, I hit the button and it's going up. And I went up two floors. I made it to, it said third floor on the elevator, there was this unholy bang. The elevator shook a huge grounding noise and it stopped dead. Were you the only one in it? Yep. I was like, no, no. And I'm hitting the buttons. Click, click. You know when you're in denial? Yeah. Oh yeah. And I'm click, click, click. And I'm like, anyway, they, sure enough, it's dead. They send somebody and I'm shouting to them through the door. Uh, the guy is super sweet. His name was Andy. Thanks, Andy. Shout out to Andy. But he was like, okay, Colin, um, I'm going to have to ask you to wait there. As opposed to what, Andy? I'm going to go up through the roof. Like, yeah. what is that, Die Hard? I, I was moving the lights. <laughs> so anyway, uh, the whole point of this story uh, is I was stuck in there. By the, by the time the whole ordeal was done, it was probably about an hour and 20 minutes. An hour and 20 yeah. minutes. All I could think about was, this is seriously eating into the time I need to water my plants. I was so nerd. Yeah, I know, but I was like, I was like, oh my God, TikTok, I've, I've got so many other things. And I hate to say this, you know how I feel about my plants, but with all of the, I, I still had to make uh, mine and Harry's lunches and uh, walk Jimmy. So on the scale of things I need to do, the plants were quite far down. Now, without being stuck in the elevator, I had enough time to do everything. Anyway, long story short, I watered the plants on Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> But, and they lived. Yeah, they lived. Uh, they weren't. They weren't best happy. There were a couple that were uh, very pale and very droopy. Mm -hmm. Anyway, that that's my story on watering plants. <clears throat> but um, back to humidity, uh, <laughs> because humidity is part of watering. It's all well and good. Uh, I, I have a, uh, a fig at home. I know that uh, the advice is to mist the leaves. Mm. Okay. Yeah. The problem is I can't move it because that'll shock it and it might drop leaves. And if I missed it, I'm just spraying water all over my walls. Oh, true. Yeah. And then I end up with hard water stains yeah. on the walls and I've got to clean them off. So do I miss it? Not nearly as much as I should, but other than actually spraying a mist on it, there's no way to replicate that humidity and that's what's lacking. So it's really tough to, to do, but it's doable because I mean, my, my, my fig's about five and a half foot tall now and and it's got leaves on it. it has some brown leaves you know what they live there yeah normalize the brown leaf yeah and it's 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 doing good but i saw the polls today i answered them yeah and uh, i'm the travel person who is like ooh plant ooh. oh yeah so so our, our our question on our poll today was what kind of traveler are you Ooh, look at that plant and that one and that one and the other one was uh the same but with food yep. and then also taking your photograph 100 percent plant so when we were in Greece, kind of the same as what you said when you went for that walk. Mm -hmm. So Jenny and Harry 
I think they were having a nap. I think they were sleeping. But I went for a walk myself and I wandered uh, up the road and I'm like, oh, what's this? And I'm taking pictures, of course, of everything. And then I saw an olive grove. So I wandered down and walked through the olive grove and there's vines growing and there was uh, pomegranates. There were grapes. And a lot of these just look like they're growing wild. And then there were plants. I had no idea what they were. Then there was, uh, you know, you can always count on it. The dandelion. No way. Yeah. In Greece? I, well, I, I say that. To me, it looked like a dandelion. I didn't get down because Greece is very dry. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's very surprising. When you're next to the ocean, uh, it can be humid. But once you're a little bit inland, it is like bone dry. It's, it's a desert climate. Yeah. Uh, and as a result, the ants love it. I didn't want to stop for it because there was one time I did stop in the ant and I'm just wearing slides because I, I wasn't expecting to go off-roading through an olive grove. So I didn't have my correct shoes on. Uh, and I didn't want ants running all over my feet. I'm not that brave. All in, they look like dandelions. Wow. I always feel bad for Jenny and Harry because we'll see something. I'm like, oh, look at this. I'm blah, blah. And they're like, uh-huh, uh-huh. My nerdism even goes further than that. Do you make Brad pose with them? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you do. <laughs> okay, yeah, Brad, go stand next to that one. I actually took the fiddly fig and I was like, hey, Brad, go stand next to that one. Point at it and smile. <laughs> so he doesn't just have to pose. You're like, no, no, Brad, on the other side, <laughs> I want you backlit. Well, and the other thing too, is I saw this resort with like plant inspired windows. It was stained Ooh. glass windows. It was beautiful. Well, yeah, like yeah. Their appreciation for plants goes far beyond just yep. the plant itself. I mean, they're using it for inspiration. So, so uh, one of my friends and colleagues, Hilberto, and he is Mexican. And I've talked to him about the plants that grow there. Mm -hmm. And, um, he has a deep appreciation of them. Yeah. And it's not its not an appreciation, like say I have, where uh, I want my house plants. That doesn't interest him. But he appreciates them because uh, he grows a lot of his own food. He uses them for uh, medicine. He does uh, a lot of um, homeopathic medicines. I, I got, uh, okay, so we're, we're just going to quick jump across the Caribbean Sea. Last time I got a, not an awesome sunburn. It wasn't too, too bad. Uh, was in Cuba. Mm -hmm. It was it was pretty uncomfortable, and we were trapped on the resort. And the prices uh, in Cuba on the resort are offensive. Mm -hmm. uh, so me being me, I'm like I'm not paying that. And Jenny was like, just get it. And I'm like, nope, <laughs> nope, not in this not in this lifetime. No, <laughs> I was scared to know what you did. Yeah, aloe grows wild. Oh yes, yeah. so you just went out and cut an aloe. I, yeah, I just I I I took three or four big, big leaves of aloe, went home and Jenny put it on my sunburn. Put it straight on? Yeah, I just smoosh out all of the smooshy stuff and then just rub it in. I don't know, the, the guts, the innards. <laughs> I don't know if you know what that, the sap. Yeah, Jenny just rubbed it on like you would with any, and it worked like a charm. Oh, that's wild. Yeah. I yeah. wish I'd had that on the resort. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I mean, if it grows in Cuba, I'd have to think it grows in Cancun. Mm -hmm. It's got to be the same zone. Well, yeah. I mean, the closest thing I saw to what looked like an aloe vera was the agave plant, yep. which grows everywhere along that hotel strip. And the thing is with that, the agave plant also gives something that will help you not care about sunburn. Yeah. <laughs> tequila. Yeah. And, you know, one thing though, I do want to say, and then I want to talk to you about tequila. Yeah. Based on, based on that, uh, uh, on what you said about, it just made me think of something. You saw a plant that looked like aloe. So I harvested aloe because I was 100% certain it was aloe. 100% there was no doubt in my mind and it was aloe. Mm -hmm. If there is any doubt in your mind, you should not harvest a wild plant. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I completely all. agree with that. Yeah, because, uh, you know, I did that and I knew it was aloe. 
so when we were in uh, when we were in Greece, we I can't remember what it was now. We saw we saw a plant, uh, and it had a berry. Uh, it was a lantana. It was a lantana, mm. and it looked like a blackberry. Oh! And Harry said, "Are those blackberries?" And I said, "No, I don't think so, buddy." And he was like, "They look similar." And I was like, "Yeah, they do, but it's not a blackberry. We don't know what it is, yeah. and we obviously didn't have data or roaming or anything, yeah. so we couldn't like Google lens or, or do anything like that." But I was like, I, "I like don't touch it. Yeah, just don't touch it." And he was like, "Well, we," and I'm like, "Don't touch it." No. And then we went back and we found out and some people can get mild irritations from Lantana. And so I was like, that's why we don't touch it. Yeah. That's something I never even thought about when you're going to travel yep. and you're introduced to all these different plants. Yeah, exactly. If if you're unsure, treat it as something that you don't want to touch. Yeah. And rule of thumb, if, you, if there's any doubt, it's not even that it's going to kill you. For example, one plant that a lot of people in Calgary don't know because it doesn't grow here is the stinging nettle. Stinging nettle. Yeah. They make nettle tea, nettles used in homeopathic remedies. Oh, okay. Um, when you touch nettle, uh, it's got tiny little hairs on the leaves and uh, you will absolutely come out in uh, white hives instantly. Like you touch it and you're like, it happened. And it's incredibly, incredibly itchy and burny mm-hmm. and it's no fun at all. Wow. And it grows everywhere. So you'll learn to identify it, poison ivy, poison oak. If you're not sure and you didn't, you're like, oh, I think that's poison ivy. And it turns out that it's not poison ivy. Well, you, you've you done no harm by not touching it. Right. So that's what I always say. If, you, if you're unsure, uh, don't touch it. But I was sure and I put the aloe on and I didn't spend the ridiculous amount at the resort. <laughs> anyway, back to tequila. Which is always a good idea when you're traveling to yeah. Mexico. Because I heard that it, they make the majority of tequila, if not, all of it? I never want to say all of it because yeah. I'm sure you can, you know, grow it. I mean, there's greenhouses, there's all of that stuff that you can do now across the world. But but they make the majority of tequila down in Mexico. Yep. And it is such a cool process. I'm going to link this video that I found to our show notes. So make sure that you're looking for that after this. And it's of a gentleman who actually goes behind the scenes of the Don Julio tequila company, like the factory where they make it. Don Julio sounds like, I've never had it before, but it sounds like it's like the ritzy brand. It is everywhere. Really? Everywhere down in Mexico, at least on the Cancun side. Is that it's why everywhere. you recognized it in the video? Is that okay? Yeah. And they have different kinds and whatnot. And and so the, what, what they do is um, they grow the agave plant for seven, eight years and they get huge. Because it's a cactus, right? It, yeah. It look, looks very similar to the aloe vera. Okay. So, um, oh yeah, is it is it almost kind of a blue leaf? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. The agave, blue agave, blue agave. There you blue. go. <laughs> hey, we got there. <laughs> the clue is literally in. There. Oh my goodness! Is it a blue leaf? How did you put that together, Colin? And we actually sell it in our houseplant department too. Yeah, I've seen it before. We sell pineapples too. Total digression, but okay. Yeah, back back to tequila. Yeah. Okay. So they grow these um, blue agave for seven years, and then they chop the entire thing down. They take like a spade and then they chop off each of the little prongs, I guess they'd be called. And then you're left with this big ball. Okay. And then they cut up the ball and then they put it into an auto, um, an autoclave and they basically like roast it. Like they make it all soft and gushy and then they shred it. And what the, what the gentleman says, it tastes kind of like sweet potato. Yep. So they shred it, uh, they ferment it, they distill it, and then they age it due to whatever kind of tequila you want to make. So I know in the Don Julio brand, I think they make like two or three different kinds of tequila. But what an interesting process and something so specific to Mexico. And you can see tequila. I mean, tequila is so popular around the world. 
Tequila is to Mexico what, you know, scotch is to Scotland. And maple syrup to Canada. <laughs> you know, when, uh, when I worked on, so I, I worked at a, um, at a sugar shack. Wait, what's a sugar shack? Oh, right. Western Canadians don't know that. So a sugar shack is a, a shack that's uh, built in the middle of a uh, sugar maple forest. And when they harvest the sap, they bring it there and you make pure maple syrup. So freaking good. I worked at one. What did you do there? Uh, Balled the sap down to make syrup. Wow. Yeah. What does it smell like? Deliciousness. It took me a long time before I could have um, syrup again. Mm. So it takes a lot of buckets and then it's a massive reduction. So you probably haven't ever drank maple sap. No. So it's freaking delicious. Is it like naturally sweet? Yeah. It's also a diuretic. Oh. Yeah, so if you're out in the woods and you're like, oh, this is delicious, just be forewarned. Be conservative. <laughs> exactly. So what happens is after the winter, the sap starts running. Uh, the sugars are coming up from the roots uh, and that's where the taste comes from. So it is like icy cold fresh water with a maple hint. Mm. And it's and, and there's almost like that. You can almost, you can almost feel the syrup. Oh. It's phenomenally good. Some people actually use it on the East Coast where you can get it medicinally for that to be used as a diuretic. So again, plants that have uh, homeopathic medicinal purposes. Mm. Anyway, you harvest it, you gather in all of these buckets uh, into one of those huge cubic 1,000 liter totes, mm-hmm. bring it to the sugar shack and you pour it into this huge trough, big metal trough, and you're literally just wood burning the whole time. I, I, they do electric, but we did the traditional one because... Um, the farm I worked on had tourists. And then as it's reducing, it pours into another trough where it reduces further. Mm-hmm. It's a 24-hour cycle. So you're doing shift work. You're often sleeping in the uh, sugar shack. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've got a kitchen. In the morning, we'd make uh, pancakes and sausages and beans and then literally go to the tap and put hot, fresh maple syrup. And it was thick. It was so... The maple syrup that comes out the bottle is runny. Mm-hmm. No, this stuff was like like treacle. Oh. And you'd cover your sausage and your pancakes and that, and then you're sitting in a uh, in a forest, tons of snow all around, drinking uh, black coffee and eating that with fresh maple syrup for breakfast. Okay, I'd like to give you my resignation and I'm moving <laughs> to Eastern Canada. Right, he's like, I am applying for a job at a sugar shack. Right. We call it a uh, cabana souk. Sugar shack sounds like some cheesy song from the B-52s. Oh, yeah. So, so, wow. The whole point of that story was um, when I worked there, the, no word of a lie, uh, there was a major police investigation involving the RCMP yeah. because somebody stole a tanker trailer full of maple syrup. Wait, you were there? Yeah, I, it wasn't from our farm. It, it happened in Montreal. Pure Canadian maple syrup is like um, extra virgin olive oil. Yeah. You get it outside of uh, Montreal. So if you're in Greece, extra virgin olive oil isn't that expensive. It's really not that. We we went through a fair amount of it. Mm-hmm. Everything getting cooked in it, dipping bread in it. You get that tanker truck. And this is what the RCMP was saying. It was all in, in the papers. I would, they weren't saying it to me personally. I, I'm not that connected. The value of that one truck in Japan, and this would have been back in 1995, okay? okay? The value of that one truck in Japan was something like 300,000 Canadian. Really? That's why when you you buy it here, when you you go to the store and buy it, it took me, that's why I said it took me a long time before I could use it again. It's, It's not as thick as it should be. Yeah. Because it's so expensive. Because 
So there's two different ways to do it. And some people will do a pump mechanism. So they'll tap the tree and they'll put a hose in and the hose runs to the trough. However, you're actually sucking the sap out of the tree. Oh. And what ends up happening is you collapse the veins of the tree and you can kill it. I believe, I believe it's now illegal to do that. Wow. The traditional way is you drill in, uh, you take a, a spigot, it's about four inches, stainless steel, aluminum, I think some of them are. You tap it into the tree, you hang a bucket on it, and then as the sap's running, it hits a spigot and runs into your bucket. So not only is it a diuretic, you're walking through the forest and you can hear sap running into metal buckets all over the place. Whoa. Yeah. And then you stop, you lift a bucket off, drink some, and keep, and it's... Well, and that's what I was going to ask is like, so with that experience, is the East Coast sort of like your, where all of your favorite plants? No, no. No? That was a tough question. I said in our little polls this week, I said, what part of Canada do your favorite plants grow wild? And I said, Victoria, which is like a zone 9A. So you can grow things like a lot of ferns, mock orange, those kinds of things. Regina, so in the prairies, which is like a zone 3B, kind of what we are. Grasses, wild rose flowers, bellflower. Yellow knife, which is more even even hardier zone one, um, where you can grow more of those like junipers, yarrow, lupin, yep. and then uh, Ottawa zone five B, milkweed, maple. Ottawa and Montreal, uh, same climate, and it. I I settled on Victoria. Most people did. I th- I think it's just because of the diversity. You can grow more there, yeah. and I think that's what appeals to me. And that's the thing is, you know, when we think about plants and and traveling around the world, you know, when when you and I were talking about this. Obviously, the first place my brain was going to was Spain and Greece and Australia and Mexico. And I was like, oh, yeah. And then I thought about it and I was like, the plants my dad used to grow in England, he had an entire rose. Okay, so this is absolutely true. My mom's, one of her favorite traditions Mm -hmm. uh, when we lived in England was on uh, New Year's Day, going outside and looking to see if the daffodils were coming out of the ground yet. Yeah. On New Year's Day. That's so special. Yeah. And then we came to Canada and New Year's Day, there's, you know, eight foot of snow outside. You're like, yeah, yeah don't, don't think they're coming up yet. No. So February and March, uh, it, it's it, almost identical to BC. All of the, all of the blooms are up. Mm-hmm. And in BC, oh my God, I went out there once in April. Every, the magnolia trees, the dandelions, the blossom. And I was like, yeah. oh my God, this is incredible. I can't remember what street it is, but there is a street that is just lined with blossom trees. It's probably more than one. I don't know why I said a street. It was a street I happened to see, ergo, there's only one. <laughs> so I actually saw this thing that's really cool that Victoria does. And I don't know if they do this every year, but uh, Tourism Victoria posted this and it just blew my mind. So they do this thing with cherry blossom trees and they put teacups in them. Come on. I know. So it's what? It's yep. like middle of March and they've got these beautiful cherry blossom trees. Just When I, when I went in April, I've, I've obviously been a few other times. Uh, I was living in Montreal Mm -hmm. and I flew back and it was like that end of winter where it's not even white snow, it's gray and brown and it's wet, but it's still cold. And you're like, why, why, why am I living here? And then you're like, oh, because I can go to a cabana souk. (laughs) But I think, I think the important thing, honestly, is that appreciate the plants around you, Mm -hmm. no matter where you are, because we all have that friend or family member who, you know, we live in Calgary and they go to the mountains maybe once a year. Yeah. I talk to them and, and they'll ask me, oh, wow, wow, where did you get that picture? Look at that lake. Oh, wow, look at that, you know, bear. And I'm like, it's an hour away. Yeah, I get, my mom, again, does not appreciate that kind of stuff. So I get it if you don't appreciate it. But 
You don't have to go somewhere tropical to appreciate the plants. No, and actually I spent seven days in Mexico and I found myself missing you know, the evergreens and the spruces and, and going out into the mountains. and I've never missed that oh. ever. <laughs> I don't You're know. I watched, we watched the finale of, of The Last of Us fresh off Mexico and then we're watching it. And the in the finale, this isn't a spoiler, but in the finale, um, they did some, some winter type views, right? And so they did a lot of those filming in Canmore and out in the mountain areas. I could smell it. I could smell the scene. Yep. You know how much I love, uh, how much I love our local, you know, flora and fauna and, and whatnot. Yeah. Middle of summer, blazing hot day. Uh, and I drove out to Drumheller and I hiked one of the canyons and looked at the cactus. And a lot of people living here don't know that cactus grow wild. Mm-hmm. Right here, an hour, what is, what is Drumheller, an hour and a half? Oh, yeah. 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 Anyway, I did that. I, a great hike. Uh, I was with Jimmy, of course. Jumped in the Jeep and then drove three hours and I was at a glacial fed lake in the mountains. Amazing. Yeah. Looking at the spruce trees and the whiskey jacks. And and I'm like, where else do you have that massive diversity? Yeah. Where you're in a baking and and the temperature difference, I think in Drumheller that day, it would have been August. So it must have been pushing 40. Yeah. It must have been pushing 40. And then you're in the mountains and it's it's warm, but it's 27. Mm-hmm. And you're like such a, a massive temperature change. And then and you come to Calgary and you see dandelion growing out of concrete. Yep. <laughs> wow. I, you know me. I appreciate my weeds. <laughs> I absolutely do. I love the I love the dandelion. Yeah. The dandelion is um dandelions genuinely, genuinely lift me up when I see them mm-hmm. after the winter. And I'm always like, ooh, first dandelion. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. First dandelion of the season. Yeah, exactly. And I, I'm so, I, I let them like, I'm like, ah. And uh, that's why I think you had such a good time in Mexico mm-hmm. because you're able to appreciate the uh, plants around you. And I, I bet the people, you know, on the poll who uh, answered uh, food, yeah. Okay. I bet you they have a deep appreciation of the food here. One of the coolest things about going to Mexico, because in, in Canada, in Alberta, we're surrounded by mountains, grass, prairie, all of that. So yep. to be next to a body of water um, just presented a whole new world of plants, right? Because plants grow underwater too. Especially salt water, especially a saltwater environment. Oh, yep. yes. In the Caribbean Sea, they're actually having a big problem with seaweed right now. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I heard about that. Yeah. So I went on this snorkeling adventure and uh, we were actually out there to look at the the reef. Oh, cool. So the coral reef where they're growing coral um, to help combat some of the major climate issues that are attacking the coral. They're bleaching out or something, aren't they? Isn't it, isn't it killing them? And... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like you can't even wear sunscreen unless it's coral safe sunscreen, yeah. which I learned, but, um, <laughs> you know, which, I, which I'd learned earlier. Yeah. Um, um, but yeah, so they're actually growing coral, which is really cool um, to try to repopulate and combat that problem. That is so cool. But, right? Did you see them? Did you, yes. did you? Yeah. So we actually got to go in there. So and what is it? Is it like a little coral farm? Yeah. Well, so it looks kind of like this, um, like a... Like okay. A, like, I, sorry. All I'm picturing right now is like SpongeBob as a farmer. <laughs> yeah. So SpongeBob, they hired him. Yeah. No. Um, so... <laughs> About time you got a job. It's like the structure that's under the water kind of looks like, like it would look like a, like a metal frame. That's probably the best that I can describe okay. it. And so they they attach the coral to it and then they let it grow and they watch it. And so what we visited was just a small section of this large reef. I've that's seen, I, 
we didn't get to visit it, but in Australia, one thing I've always wanted to see, and I, it's yeah. it's my one regret about Australia that I didn't drive up and see the Great Barrier Reef. Part of me is somewhat happy because of how damaged it is. It's a wonder of the world, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, it's it's a natural wonder. Yeah. But you're telling me that they're saving it. Okay, I just found it. I'm going to try to pronounce this name because the one the, the Great Barrier Reef in Australia is like the number one biggest. Mexico is the number two. It's called the uh, Mesoamerican Barrier Reef. Nice. Or, or the Great Mayan Reef. How have I never heard of this? Yeah, it's, it is beautiful. And you snorkeled it. So they only have a small portion that's actually available to the public right now. Good. Because they're trying Good. to protect the rest of it. Yeah. And rightfully so. I mean, there were so many fish and there were so many plants underwater that were that were living and thriving or trying to thrive in this in this reef. So th- they're doing lots of work, but the one problem that they're running into right now is actually seaweed. Yeah. So this time of year, a bunch of seaweed will come and wash up on the shores of of Mexico. Yep. And even while we were doing the snorkeling adventure, they were raking the seaweed off of the sand. Yeah. And it was kind of creating this barrier between the water and the beach. And it was just everywhere. I mean, we'd walk along that hotel strip of Cancun and we would just see, yeah, again, people raking it. You know, and it's interesting because when we were looking up where to stay in Cancun, that seemed to be a very common review is people being like, well, they should do something about the seaweed. But it's really tough when like it's global warming and it's and it's and it's like the world that's contributing to this seaweed problem. And you're on the ocean where it comes from. Yeah, right. You can't just be like, well, we're going to put a barrier out in the ocean to stop all the seaweed. And it's a natural thing. But also it's a it's a hint yep. that there's something bigger going on. And the thing is, it's 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 that human, it's, it's, it's in our nature, um, especially when we're going on vacation somewhere. We want it to be beautiful and we want it to be pristine and you don't want to walk through the seaweed. Mm. I, the, I got a ton of pictures of uh, of uh, plants and seaweeds and uh, lichens and stuff in Greece when I was snorkeling. Mm-hmm. Um, my phone, I take it underwater and take great pictures. I love my phone. But there's, yeah, there's some, what is it? Um, ocean, the kinds of ocean plants, phytoplankton, red algae, kelp, seagrass, sargassum. The ocean, and I believe it's because of uh, all of the plants in it yeah. uh, and whatnot, uh, the ocean is more responsible for oxygen on the planet yeah. than the rainforest. Yeah, and I imagine all those fish, like that, yeah. like the like the boat, they're using all of those plants. Yep, just like we use plants. Yeah, exactly. They hide in it. They feed on it. One of my favorite uh, sea sea critters. Uh, I'm not. I'm not sure whether in uh, native to. But I love them. I, they fascinate me as the seahorse. Have you seen one? Never wild. Oh, okay, me neither. Ne- yeah, never wild. I, oh my god, I would. They're very delicate. They, they need to live uh, where there is a current. They can't live in stagnant water, but the current can't be too strong. And of course, that means close to the shoreline. Well, mm. what do we do as humans? We develop the shoreline, so we've, we've hurt their habitat. But one of the things that uh, seahorses do, uh, because they, they, they don't have huge fins, they can't really direct themselves. So the plants are essential and they'll wrap their tail around the plant. They'll just sway in the water with it? Yeah, and they'll hold on. So the plants, whichever type it is, far from my speciality, a lot of animals will lay their eggs on it. Yeah. You know, a lot of, a lot of uh, sea animals do that. It's as important for them as, you know, the, the forest is for the bears. Well, and that's why I love traveling so much because, yeah, sure, I'm a plant nerd, but I also think it's important to expand your knowledge of because everything that you do now in your life has an impact on the world as a whole. Yeah. And it's so important to experience that impact. You know, and, and here's the thing. I, I, one of my favorite quotes, you know, I kind of want to finish with this because 
we've talked about identifying them and aloe and lantana and monstera. And one of the best quotes by William Shakespeare, uh, I think, um, was that a rose by any other name would smell as sweet. It doesn't matter what it's called. It doesn't matter if you know the name. It doesn't matter if you know when does it flower? Does it flower? Is it a foliage plant? You can just enjoy something. You can just look out the window. I I did it uh, in Mexico, sat on a balcony and uh, one of the resorts we stayed on uh, was overlooking a jungle. And that was our view. We didn't have the ocean view. We had the jungle view. I was happier. I was legitimate. We've had other resorts where we've had the ocean view. Every night, I've obviously got photos of it. I'd watch the sun go down over the jungle and you'd hear it alive and all the calls and the bird song and just that carpet of green. And I was like, yeah, yeah, this is, this is special. Yeah. And I was like, I, I don't know what those trees are. I don't, you know, maybe if I got closer and got in there, I might be able to identify uh, 40% maybe, but I didn't need to know. And that's, uh, that's, I love that quote. Like, you don't have to know. You just, if you enjoy it, that's a good enough answer. This week's question comes from an email from Danielle. Hello, Danielle. Uh, She says, I plan on growing indeterminate tomatoes in containers for the first time. What size container do I need to plant them in? 15 gallon, 20 gallon? Five gallon. Yeah. Yep. So I'm assuming uh, the way they've asked the question that they're not planning on trimming them or topping them or uh, cutting them back. They're just going to let them go. So indeterminate means it's not going to settle at any height. It, it, it's going to grow to its conditions. You can get indeterminate tomatoes that'll end up being eight, nine foot tall. Okay. That's not like a specific kind of tomato. It can be any. Yeah. You, you, you look on the pack. There's there's all oh, okay. different kinds. Okay. And, and a lot of them will say uh, indeterminate or determinate. So determinate will be like... Uh, this plant will get to six foot tall. Indeterminate is like, hey, roll with the punches. What? Yep. Oh, okay. And, and and then some people will top them and keep them bushier. Uh, some people will let, let them run wild. Some people want to uh, kind of have fun with it and see how big they can get them. So I've grown them before and I grew uh, an indeterminate one and just let it go uh, buck wild in a two gallon pot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it did fine. Uh, it was it was root bound. So I don't recommend that. Okay. I'm saying you can. That's not my recommendation. Lowest you probably do, I would say, is five gallon. Mm-hmm. I don't think you'd need much more than 10 gallon. And you can only put one plant in that. I, I would recommend. You can put them in, but they, they, you're going to lose both. I, I recommend doing one plant. However... The biggest challenge you're going to have with growing them in a pot, any size pot, it doesn't matter. Uh, You run the risk of them uh, getting massively top heavy. Mm. So uh, you've got a five, seven, 10 gallon pot at the start, more than enough weight with the soil and everything else. As it grows, that weight is still nicely balanced, but you have a eight foot tomato plant that then puts out nothing but fruit. It gets very top heavy. Plus, then the branches start to break because they can't hold their own weight. Mm-hmm. So the it, it's a great question because uh, I love it because, uh, you know, people immediately think, oh, the pot size. And remember last year we grew a sunflower in a uh, two-gallon pot? Yeah. We grew a, uh, whatever, nine-foot, ten-foot tall sunflower. The pot size isn't as important um, as is how are you planning on supporting it? Think about the end game. Yeah, exactly. So people go, oh, uh, I need the roots and they put it in and they give it a, a 20. The plant is going to love you for a 20 gallon pot. I absolutely promise you that. It's also going to take a uh, heck of a lot of soil. Mm-hmm. So I'd, I'd go five to 10. 
uh, somewhere in that region. But you really want to think about how you're supporting it. A tomato cage isn't going to cut it. No. Um, it's going to outgrow the tomato cage in, in a month. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're going to need trellis. You're going to need support. You might have to run twine. Uh, and build a support. I've uh, I've run it before where I've tied twine on my uh, eaves trough mm-hmm. and trained them up that way. So uh, think about your support system and uh, how you're planning on uh, keeping your plant structurally sound. Because the other thing is, if you tie it up and it, it's it's well supported, it won't fall over. Yeah. Because that's happened before where uh, I've done it and I've had it on a nice tre- uh, trellis. Uh, the wind cut it, uh, caught it, and uh, brought my whole plant down. But yeah, you're you. you Absolutely, you can grow it in that big. You don't need to. So I'd say short answer is five to 10 gallons uh, and really consider what you're going to do for staking, support, and trellis. Thank you so much for your question, Danielle. And thank you for catching this episode of the Helpful Gardeners podcast. If you do have a question, comment, idea for a future episode, give us a shout on our SpeakPipe app over at goldenacre.ca slash podcast. Uh, you can interact with our Tuesday polls and questions on our Instagram channel at goldenacre garden. And you can also send us an email like Danielle did at social at goldenacre.ca. All of these will be linked in the show notes. So look below and join us next week as we show your houseplants some extra love. We're talking seasonal maintenance, repotting, watering, dormancy, and so much more. So come hang out with us next Sunday at 8 a.m. Mountain Time on your favorite podcast platform. Yeah, I'm excited. Uh, I'm excited for the houseplant one because I often miss it and I'm like, Ugh. so this is going to give me the kick in the butt. I know what I'm doing next Sunday. Pencil it in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See you later. Okay, bye guys.